Welcome to Renegade Inc. Britain's MI5 has always maintained that the UK is just four meals from anarchy. So, with fractured supply chains, rising costs and failing agricultural policy, how worried should the Brits, who are net importers of food, be about our national food security? Welcome to Renegade Inc. Mike Raw, uh, wonderful to have you. Thank you very much for swinging by. Thank you for the invitation. Mike, um, one of the primary goals or the primary objectives of any government is to feed its people. Now, what's gone on with a, a lot of the geopolitical uh, theatre, if you like, over the last weeks and months, is that a lot of uh, countries, governments, who are dependent on food imports have lost sight of the fact that uh, their fundamental task is to feed their population. Where are we at when it comes to food security, specifically in the UK? Well, we're getting into a position where we're expecting the rest of the world to send us shiploads and container loads of food. But if you look in the news of late, places like Hungary, they're controlling exports. Bulgaria, yep. Indonesia have put in controls on the export of palm oil. Argentina is putting controls on the export of soya meal and soya oil. Brazil says that, said that they will be controlling soya exports from September. And one of the commentators in the United States has mentioned that they will have to look at rationing demand, which means controlling export. This all points to protectionism, doesn't it? Very much so. And now you haven't mentioned um, in all those examples the fact that Russia, Ukraine contribute 25%, a quarter of all the world's wheat. The, the exports from the Black Sea have just come to a dead stop. Right. So Turkey, Egypt and the North African countries have lost their supply. And they're now searching the world for, to replace that. When you look at the UK, if we come back to the UK, we are a net importer of food, unlike places like the Netherlands, who are way more self-sufficient. In fact, they're a net exporter. What does it mean for Britain and the Brits? Well, if you're looking at the food situation, one of the things you must first comprehend is inelastic demand. I know it's technical, but very briefly explain what you mean. Inelastic demand means, if you looked at the graph, the demand curve is virtually straight up and down. Yes. You are not going to eat a different quantity of food next week to what you ate last week. Right. It's going to be round about the yes. same. So the quantity of food demanded does not really change. Right. But if the supply changes, the effect on price is quite dramatic. Right. So explain that bit, because that to me is the mechanism. Right. If you oversupply a market, yeah. say we, for a particular product, we oversupply the market by 3%. You won't get just a 3% fall in price you will get a 12% fall in price. Right. If you oversupply that market by 5%, you will get a 20% fall in price. If you oversupply that market by 10%, you'll get a 50% fall in price. But the reverse is true. Right, explain that bit. If you undersupply a market... Yes. So if we undersupply a market by 3%, 
we are going to get a big leap in price. If we undersupply by 5%, we're going to get a 20% leap in price. If you undersupply by 10%, the price is going to double. And this is the effect of inelastic demand. The amount of food people want doesn't change. People do not like being hungry. And this idea that um, the UK is always only about three, four meals away from uh, supply chain collapse, uh, it becomes very real now, doesn't it? It becomes crystallised. Yeah. We've been here before. Yeah. What's the historical context? The historical context is the period 1945 to 54. Right. We, rationing didn't end at the end of the Second World War. Rationing carried on. We were still short of food. Right. And when um, you say rationing, was that to households or was that within the agricultural industry itself? It was within everything. Yeah. And after 1954, the government, despite being very, very cash-strapped, didn't stop subsidising farmers. Right. They carried on with the farming support. They had a Ministry of Agriculture, which we no longer have. You had marketing boards. You had a deficiency payment scheme. Right, which would hedge. Which, that's exactly what it was doing. Right. It, would, it was a guarantee to farmers. All of this maintained that all those markets were oversupplied, so cost or that, price... That was the strategy. And price then remained pretty much stable. Prices increased, but slowly. And this is the critical bit. The increase, the inflation rate on agriculture and food prices was at a much slower rate to the general increase in prices. So you got effects for the housewife and you got effects for the farmer. Yes. The effects for the housewife were that in 1954, she would have been spending between 30 and 50% of the household budget on food. And now she is spending between 8 and 10%. Right. And, and the difference, of course, that can be used in other areas of the economy for discretionary spending. That has allowed growth in the economy. Right. And that's why they did it. But now we're at a situation where that percentage is going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying with inelastic demand is it's going to ratchet up very quickly and, and very violently. Yes. Yes. A, a, a big leap in food prices. The Food and Agriculture Organization came out with some figures the food index for the world in February 2021 was, say, 100. It's gone up 20, uh, 21% in the last 12 months. But this is only just the beginning. Right. We haven't seen the other cost prices. Now, this difference in the inflation rate for farm output for food products and the general rate of inflation also had an effect on the farm. Farmers, their incomes were going up like that, their costs were going up like that. They got into a squeeze. Margins got thinner and thinner. They could do one of three things. They could expand to spread fixed costs and recreate the margin. They could intensify or they could get out. Right. And um, a, a lot. Got out. Got out. Yeah. 
what we were seeing is a government hedging uh, the, uh, the shortfall um, and making sure that markets were oversupplied. Yes. They call them farm subsidies. But what were they actually? They were actually incentives to oversupply the market. But we don't have that now, do we? No. And there's a problem, isn't it? Yes. So um, what then happens logically from that point? If you don't have that hedge in place and if you don't have an uh, agricultural uh, minister who uh, really gets this and understands it and has the leadership necessary to be able to say we need to act, coupled with the fact that we're a net importer of food, perfect storm, right? Yes, very much. So, and all the consumer thinks is, oh, well, there's been a war in Ukraine, therefore food prices, we'll just blame it on them. But it's way more complicated, isn't it? Yes, and it, it's something that can be planned for. Right. It's something that fa farmers have been shouting about food security for a number of years. But succeeding secretaries of agriculture, it's just fallen on deaf ears. But it's going... It's coming to the crunch, right. and the crunch will come with empty shelves. The queues will be to get into the supermarket, not at the tills to get out of the supermarket. Um, when thing, things be, become very short in supply, then prices go very, very high. And so, when did we see this before? Was it rationing after the Second yes. World War? Yeah. Rationing was a, ma a means of making sure everybody got fair shares and not just the rich got the, mo got the most of it. Uh, and if you bring in, if there's rationing, you also have to have price controls. Mm. So where do you see us on this timeline? What, how, when does this, because it seems to me like uh, most crises, that these things happen very slowly and then all at once. Yes. So where are we on that timeline? Well, if we look at what's happened with fertilizer prices, mm. I think that gives us an idea of what is perhaps going to be tell coming us. around the corner with food prices. Tell us, tell us. Two years ago, a ton of ordinary fertilizer, which is ammonium nitrate, we'll stick with that. If you bought it in the autumn, £180 a ton. If you bought it in the springtime, ready to, you know, because you were ready to use it and you didn't need to store it, £220 a ton. Yeah. Last spring, the price jumped to £350 a tonne. That doesn't seem too much. No. Farmers could, co could just about cope with that. The price today, £650 a tonne, heading for over £700. Quotes for next spring, and for next year's harvest, are £1,000 a tonne. So we've gone from £200 a tonne to a thousand pounds a ton. And this just comes back to your um, thesis that these things ratchet so quickly. Yes. When does that cost start to get pushed through or has that cost already it's, started? It's already, it's already started. Milk, milk price, normally at this time of the year, in the spring, the milk producers are seeing a cut in the milk price because cows are getting, some cows are getting turned out to grass uh, costs of production are cheaper, therefore they can afford to cut, cut the price. They're not. The price is not going down. Mm. The price is going up because the milk processors can see very clearly that if they want to maintain supply, they've got to cover the farmer's costs 
and the farmers' costs are going up like a rocket. Is the milk industry the canary in this mine? Can we look to what's happening there and think and say, well, that trend is going to actually affect all of agriculture, whether it be beef, whether it be uh, wheat, whether it be barley? Is that is that a sort of there, there, there is an analogy there. Yeah. Yes. Um, milk prices at the moment they were around about sort of thirty-two pence a litre. They're now heading towards. 40, 41 pence a litre, they're, they're going to get topside of 45 pence a litre. So you're going to see a 50% increase. Mm. But if you're, you use fertiliser to grow grass, to grow maize, to feed to the cows, if that has gone up fivefold, your costs are going through the roof. If you used to spend £20,000 a year on fertiliser, next year, you're looking at a bill of £100,000. 5x. Yeah. You've got £80,000 worth of extra budget of working capital that you've got to find. So when you go to the bank and you say to the bank manager, Mr. Bank Manager, this fertiliser's got terribly, terribly expensive. I need to borrow another £80,000. And the bank manager will turn around and say, well, how much profit will you make? And you say, well, actually, I'm going to lose £40,000. <laughs> right. Because that's going to wipe me out. Welcome back, Renegade Inc. I'm here with Mike Raw. Uh, we're talking all things food and food security, specifically UK food security. Mike, in that first half, what we did was we fleshed out uh, all the problems uh, that face and the headwinds that face British agriculture. Uh, not a lot of people will know that we are perilously close to running out of food uh, at a point where costs are going up and input costs are going up. Where do you see us on that timeline? When you look at farming in the, uh, in the United Kingdom, yeah. You can draw the T's X line. Right. So Tell you, us what you, that is. Tell us what you the go, T's X. You go from the mouth of the River Tees, which is around Middlesbrough. Yeah. And the mouth of the River X at Exmouth. Yes. And you draw a line across the country. Right. To the north and west of that line, you've got mostly livestock production. Yes. Not exclusively, but mostly livestock production, dairy beef and sheep, some arable production. Mm. Look to the south and east of that line, you've very largely got arable production with some livestock production. A lot of that is, in fact, pigs and poultry, um, but there is also some cattle, uh, some beef and some dairy, but it's largely the arable side. And what's the use in drawing that line? If you look at the arable side, yeah. so we're looking at the south and the east of the country, they're facing um, a problem with fertiliser. Can they afford it? Well, one good friend of mine, he's sown 40 acre of field beans. He hasn't grown field beans for a very, very long time. And this, these are used to feed cattle? These are field beans. They're going to, they're going to probably replace some of the soya in, in, in animal rations. If you're growing field beans and you're on reasonably good land and where he's growing them is quite heavy land, phosphate and potash levels will be fine and he doesn't need any nitrogen fertiliser. So he can get 40 acres of a crop without fertiliser input. So 
the fertilizer that he has available is then more is available for the crops because he's also a wheat grower and wheat um, has gone feed wheat has gone from round about 120 pounds a ton and last week it was topping 300 milling wheat has topped over 370 pound a ton it's come back a little bit now because a lot of the deals for uh, have been done and so the price is sort of He's, he's, he's back a little bit. Those farmers in the south and the east, yes, they'll be looking at beans. You may also see more fields of red clover because red clover is, again, a legume crop. You don't need the nitrogen fertilizers. If the indices, the levels of phosphate and potash in the soil are okay, mm. you c it'll grow. And you mm. can cut that. You can make it into big bale silage. And if you feed it to beef cattle, it's like rocket fuel. Right. But he's unique, isn't he, this farmer? Because not everyone has that lucky disposition, uh, especially now, as um, when we think about potash, 30% of it, 33% of it comes from Russia, Ukraine. So there's going to be a mass shortage of that for the foreseeable future. Well, let's hope that mine in the, no in, in the North York, York. Moors <laughs> is... Pumps it out. Is pumping it out. But so what farmers are doing is they're having to plant accordingly. Yes. Because they're not able to access the raw materials to keep the, these crops in... Uh, you know. when, you, when you're farming, yeah. you're looking not only 12 months ahead, you're looking five years ahead. Right, and unlike governments, strangely. <laughs> uh, but go on. And... Normally, you're, you're looking for profit. But one of the major factors they're now going to be looking at in their cropping plans is what fertiliser is going to be available. How much can I afford? And how can I adjust my cropping accordingly? Yes. So you'll be looking at beans, you'll be looking at clover, you'll be looking at, at oats, mm. because oats are a, a low-input crop, and they, they don't carry over the take-hole virus, so they can act as to a large extent as a break, break, break crop. Yeah. So you can expect to see more of those crops in the south and the east of England, the north and the west when we go into the livestock areas. I, am, I have very serious concerns. Why? Well, if they're looking at a ammonium nitrate fertilizer price, which ammonium nitrate they use on the grassland, it boosts the supply of grass. The grass is what is feeding the animals. Mm -hmm. If they were spending £20,000 a year, now they're going to spend £100,000 a year. It's just not a runner. And I asked you in the first half about where we are on this timeline. What you've depicted, we should be making a documentary talk show. This is actually a horror film, right? Because um, the consumer, when they start going to the supermarkets and they, or they start queuing to get into supermarkets, um, it's going to hit them in the pocket. And it, do you see rationing coming back? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is things disappear off the shelf. So it's going to be empty shelves to begin with, queues around the block. Yeah. Rationing? If, if, is it going to get as bad as rationing? I don't I, It could well. It could well, yeah. Let's just take beef for an example. Mm. The system we've got at the moment, uh, wheat, wheat, barley, around about £300 a tonne. By the time you've added the proteins and the milling and the yes. delivery and such like, you're over, you're over £400 a tonne. Mm -hmm. That's 40 pence a kilo. Mm -hmm. Food conversion, how much food you've got to feed to get a kilo of uh, animal, about seven to one. Yes. 
40 pence a kilo becomes 280 pence a kilo. Cattle are selling for 240, 260 pence a kilo. You're losing money. Mm. So feeding large amounts of cereals into cattle becomes a non-runner. Does the government then come in and just make mass subsidies here? Or do they not have the foresight? No, they're far more concerned about the environment. People watching this, though, which brings us to a really important point, must think, well, hang on, the UK must have a Ministry of Agriculture. But actually, we don't, do we? No. We had a Minister of Agriculture, and that was a cabinet-level post. Right, but we don't have that now. No, we have a department, DEFRA. We have a Department of Agriculture with a Secretary of State. And back to the very first point in the programme, the first uh, obligation of a government is to feed its people. Yeah. And the bit that's concerned with uh, food production, you will find in a broom cupboard somewhere buried in the Department of the Environment. So when we're looking for political leadership or governmental leadership on this, it's not going to come, is it? Because really what, what they're saying is farmers, you're on your own. Yes, and farmers have been saying, the, the, uh, the NFU uh, have been shouting for a long time, pressing on the government the need for food security. So when you hear a lot of government ministers um, and journalists in the media calling for rewilding now, this is the fork in the road bit, isn't it? Because what you've depicted is a very stark picture of what's going on agriculturally. Right, At costs going up, um, supply contracting, food security a problem, and then all the global uh, political events to boot. At the same time, in the UK, the media and parts of the government are saying, well, what we need to do is not produce more food, is we need to rewild the place. You can't live on tree bark. Trees are important. Trees are important, but you can't. But that isn't a way to go for food security, is it? No. So what do we do? Well, it looks like we've got to start supporting production again. Incentives to oversupply the market. We're back to the first point, right? Mm. So uh, you're not going to call them um, as they were uh, called farm subsidies anymore. What you're, the real terminology is um, incentives to oversupply, isn't it? Where does that come from, from a political leadership point of view? Because if you went to the, whoever's in charge of that department now, and I'm clueless because it, they're so out of the fray, and said, we need to do this, I doubt you get a very positive response because the general reaction to all of it, we haven't got the money. Absolutely, yes, that's very much it, isn't it? But not having the money was the situation that we were in in 1945 to 54, but still, the government supported its agriculture. This is what you're calling for now. Well, how, how hungry do people have to get before they, they're on the streets? So if you were, I'm going to make you head of the Ministry of Agriculture for the day. In fact, no, you can have a week. You've got a week to sort this out. Um, what, would you, what would the three things you'd do immediately? Well, we've got, we've got a, a, a supply shortage, haven't yes. we? And uh, we've got to control the exports. Yes. So the first thing is uh, control exports. The second is supply, so get your hands on imports. Mm. And the third thing, what I don't think you're going to say is continue down this rewilding path. I mean, this might be the most yeah. radical proposal, which is that you actually go to farms and say you need to produce more food. What farmers have been saying 
is that we want to produce food for the British people. But the politics are getting in the way? Yes. Unless we hit a crisis, I don't think anything is going to happen. What, but just... we will hit a crisis. Okay, and I'm, I'm not, it's not crystal ball stuff, because a lot of viewers will watch this and they'll feel incredibly helpless because um, they don't understand agriculture, they don't understand supply chain, they don't understand where we are and thing. What can they do? Because it's pointless them writing to their MP because the likelihood is that the MP hasn't got a clue about agriculture. What can people do now to... Uh, is it as straightforward as buying a chest freezer and making sure you've got enough food? That, that's certainly one. And do what I do. What? Have an allotment. 50% of everything that we eat comes from our own production. We have... We have an allotment and some raised beds in the back in the garden, and we we stock our freezer from that. Having an allotment ought to be a public right, and we could see legislation go through Parliament, which would enact upon parish, district, and county councils, so that. You ha if you want an allotment, you do not have a six-year waiting list that one is provided within a three-month period. Right. That would necessitate a compulsory leasing. It doesn't necessitate compulsory purchase, but it would necessitate compulsory leasing. It ought to be a public right that you're able to go have a piece of land to feed your family. Mike, thank you very much for coming by and thank you for your time. That's it from Renegade Inc. this week. You can drop the team a mail, studio at renegadeinc.com. Join us next week for more insight from those people who are thinking differently. But until then, stay curious.